Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Before we get into this episode of Small Doses Podcast, gotta remind you all to go to In Amanda We Trust and check out... Your girl's independently produced political comedy documentary. You know that I am incredibly passionate about our getting involved in civics and being the change that we wish to see. And so I put this piece of work together to hopefully try and excite people or at least make them more curious about how they can do that, all right? Now, this is not some small little thing. This is a whole production, you know? And that doesn't happen by just happenstance. It happens with the support of people like you. So make sure you go to inamandawetrust.com. That's inamandawetrust.com and support your girl and also support the fact that we matter. So we got to get involved. And I'm going to tell you all how to do it. And we're going to get some information in this special that hopefully you may not have had before, but that makes your mind different after. Now, remember, my documentary is only available for these two weeks. It is only available for these two weeks. So if you're telling yourself, oh, I'll get it later, baby, it's not going to be the same. Okay? The situation ain't going to be the same. So make sure you go to inamandawetrust.com and support. Now let's get into this episode. Self-help from the hip. Small doses. We're talking that shit. Small doses. And keeping it real. Small doses. And keeping it real. Small doses. Small doses. With me and them seals. It's so funky. <laughs> Welcome. So here's what happens every time me and this person are together. We're very serious and then... <laughs> <laughs> This is what happens. We start laughing and giggling. And I don't think we've ever told people the, well, we've, we always revisit the story of how we met, Mm -hmm. but I don't think people actually know that story of your seriousness when I met you at Purchase College. I think that at that age, I was definitely like a a really wild, reckless dude. And (laughs) you were definitely, um... You know, unhinged yourself slightly, and I feel like Facts. that made that made two people. And I was just telling my brother Poison Pen, who came up here with me, that sometimes in New York, especially, you find that people that have had either conflict or beef, but we never had beef with just like a misunderstanding based on my ignorance. But when people have arguments and discussions, sometimes that results in the best friendships because New York City is a place where people don't give you the time. Like if I make fun of you and you make fun of somebody, you from New York, that means you like them or you take an interest <laughs> in, you observe them so much that you could say something that they weren't expecting you to say. Like I, I paid attention to you. That's th- that you, you could tell I like you. If I didn't like you, I wouldn't acknowledge your existence. I would walk past you like you died in a car accident 20 years ago and I would be like, forget you. Because I like you, I'm going to belittle you. And then through that course of belittlement, we're going to reach a position of understanding where I know that whenever I throw something at you, I'm going to get something thrown back at me. Correct. And when you find that equivalence in someone's personality, you respect that and they learn to respect you. And I feel like as long as people can respect each other, they can deal with the reality that both of them know, but that one of them may not like. Right. Yes. Like the fact that Mr. Obama is, in fact, a war criminal. This like is the, facts. The, the fact that there are certain things that you can explain to certain people in a very, very knowledgeable and interesting tone, Amanda. But someone that's determined to be insulted by you 
is not going to want to hear an inkling of truth you have to say. And that's when I take it back to Malcolm X when he said, listen, I'm prepared to hear truth no matter who's telling it. Yes. Right. The only difference is I feel like people have taken that in this day and age and kind of piggybacked off some people that make these broken clock comments about our community. And what I mean by a broken clock is that you write twice a day but I'm not going to set my watch to you. So you can make these interesting observations about the Black and Latino community, but they fall short. Like, like Newton's law of relativity, when you use it on something that's not like a, a little ball, when you take it to a subatomic level or a planetary level, the numbers don't add up. I'll give you a quick example. Whenever, For the record, wait. I, just, I told you this was going to happen, Jeremiah. This is exactly what I told Jeremiah. Was nah, happen. nah, nah. I was I'm like, this is going to happen. I'm going to shut I up. I said, watch what's going to happen. What's going to happen is we're going to start. I said, we're going to start the interview. I said, Tech is going to talk for 45 minutes. He's going to depress us. He's going to depress us in that 45 minutes. I said, no, at the end no, of that 45 no, minutes, no, he's going to no. provide us with an esoteric option and, <laughs> and, and, and option for solution oh and survival. God, and we're going to choose to take it or leave it. But it will be offered. It will be proffered. And uh, that's how this is going to go. So I'm just letting y'all know. Because we on for the ride. This is Side Effects of Answering the Call, part due with... West Coast Edition. <laughs> yes, West Coast Edition with Immortal Technique. Take it away. I love the drip, too. <laughs> it was love for you. Drip, I tell y'all, I literally, oh. I was like, I have a whole closet of pink and red clothing the just for this podcast. Home. The homies at home are watching. And I was like, you know what? This feels oddly appropriate. So here we are. Carry on. So no. we were talking about subatomic levels of. So some things don't. <laughs> add, sometimes when people things say things about our community, they'll be partially right, but it's not said from a place of wanting us to grow and be. Can I give an example? In a position, sure. Can I give an example? So I saw this clip floating around this week, and apparently it's like three years old. But it's basically this police captain or chief. I'm not sure, but he's a ranking police officer. And he was at a funeral for someone who died due to police violence. And this is in Milwaukee. And so apparently at the end of the funeral, they, he was being interviewed by the press and they were asking him like, why were you on your phone during the funeral? Why were you on your phone? And he was like, I was on my phone because I was checking on the status of a five-year-old who was just, you know, shot with a stray bullet mm -hmm. sitting on her parents' lap. And this keeps happening. And the number of deaths that I'm seeing in the black community are because of gun violence. Why isn't anyone more mad, just as mad about that as they are? about the police violence that's taking place and everyone in the comments was like he not wrong he so not I think, wrong I think that's exactly the point I'm trying to make so what someone says this let me clarify for people when I hear somebody say y'all only protest when a cop kills a person I'm gonna use the example of the person that got choked out in the train and related to something else just so the audience at home can see that's the camera right there mm -hmm. alright if a person in the community Harlem, Brooklyn, anywhere in New York City, but I can also speak for the rest of America because I bothered to look up some of these statistics. If somebody from an urban area or even a suburban area is caught in the act of killing somebody or is caught on camera killing somebody or is caught in any way, shape or form with evidence that is linked to their involvement in someone's death, over 90% of the time they're found guilty. And they do some kind of time and there's some kind of consequence for them. But it's not just the fact that we're dealing with law enforcement, but we're dealing also with what we call the proximity to power. So if you are related to law enforcement, and I'm going to give a clear example. About two years ago, there was a woman who ran over an immigrant's baby. And instead of being concerned about the 
health or the welfare of the child or even the mother's emotional status. The police, simply because the woman was the brother of an NYPD sergeant, threatened a woman who just lost her baby with deportation and jailing for the rest of her children if she didn't somehow change her story about this lady who ran over and then not just ran over, but then basically hurried the car up and went like four or five blocks until they finally came to their senses and realized, oh my God. But they were on the phone in that car. So something tells me that somebody in the car, I'm not making allegations because I have no proof of this, but if you got a phone call after you just ran over, you made a phone call after you just ran over somebody, you called somebody and they told you, don't leave the scene of the Mm -hmm. accident, pull Mm -hmm. over, tell them you were scared, which is exactly what this lady came out and said. And now we have this issue. Now, I'm not saying that People don't wild out in certain situations. I'm not saying that there aren't people on the train that do incredibly crazy things. But my issue is the fact that if you had family members or people had the first as the false story that said it was his father, it's actually a different family member, but he has a proximity to the NYPD. And the individuals that are now protecting that will say, you only care when it's a cop. And I'm going to make an observation. My man... He was more my friend Swave's friend, but he was my friend too. His name was Mo Clever, and he was murdered in Harlem. And his son was killed after he died. He was outside playing with his friends. They were shooting a video, and somebody came by and sprayed the block, and they only killed him. And him and his father are both gone. And now we're trying to do whatever we can to make sure his youngest son is good. But we had a vigil. We had a march. We had grandmothers out there. We had people upset, whether it's in Bed-Stuy, whether it's in Harlem. People go out. They go to the church. They cry. You don't see our tears. I'm sorry. Fox News, Newsmax, you not at the rallies. Don't tell us we only care when it's a white cop. We care when anybody dies in the community. You think that just because we live in a big city that there's not a neighborhood there? How dare you? I know the neighborhood crackhead. I know the ox from the store. I know the Korean guy who moved in. I know how long he'd been in the army for. We had a conversation. I lived there for 30 years, 40 years. How am I not going to know this? So don't say that we don't have community, don't say that we don't have empathy because really what you're doing is perpetuating some racist trope that we don't actually care and we don't actually love our children. We're just virtue signaling because somehow some spineless liberal convinced us that racism existed in America. I don't need a fake Democrat to come and tell me that America's racist. I have eyes. And I think that it's also belittling to the parents of the child that has died. Because you basically telling them that you don't care about your own child, that somehow the limelight is what you really after. So why are you telling a grieving parent that they're clout chasing in any other society or if you accused anybody else of doing that? It would be immediate consequences. It would be lawsuits. We saw that with the Sandy Hook shooting. You had a whole lawsuit because you said, yo, shut your fucking mouth. But with our community, I feel like there's not the respect level for that. So I can make a very good argument for keeping the Second Amendment without any disturbances. I can make a great counter argument for it. But when you start saying things like, oh, y'all only care when it's a white cop or a white person that kills, that's absolutely not true. We're looking at the fundamentals of how those cases are handled. When it's a homie that kills another homie, 90% of the time or above, you go into jail. If it's law enforcement that shoots your family, good luck. Good luck getting a court date because what you're going to have to do is all these steps. First, the the indictment, a grand jury, 
super hard, right? Then the DA, who would probably have no problem with prosecuting a ham sandwich in New York City, he going to drag his feet forever because the union is up his ass, right? With their hands coming out of his nose, that's how far up his ass they are. Then you're going to have to deal with the mayor's office, right? You have to deal with, okay, now we're going to go to trial. Now they're going to want to do this not in New York City because they don't think you're going to get a jury or your peers. So they're going to move it to Westchester or they're going to want to go to Long Island. You're going to play that game. Then you're going to have jury selection games. Then after that, when even if you find him guilty, the judge is going to give him what? Them George Floyd cops got what? One year, two years, three years? I, I, there was a, a police officer, I'm going to end with this, in Washington Heights. This man had been on the force for 20 years. He was drinking and driving. He killed a woman, a Dominican sister, and three out of her four children. And this man got one year in jail and five years probation. And if you don't believe me, please look it up. The definition of fascism is that the people that are in charge of your life have absolutely no responsibility and no accountability to answer any questions for you. So before you talk about communist China or Cuba, try and fix the shit that's here. That's what we're mad about, that there's no accountability. Are we angry when a gang member kills another person? Absolutely, because that's still somebody's father, that's still somebody's mother. But that homie is going to jail. The person that shot Nip is going to jail. The other people that shot the, the Indian Red Boy, they're going to jail. The other people that got caught, they got caught on camera. But this brother got caught on camera shooting another person. Boom, and then laughing about it and sending texts. And then it's still an uphill struggle. That's what people are frustrated by. That's it. You, you spoke about fascism. So here's the thing, you know, you're somebody who is incredibly well-read and well-lived because those are two different things, right? I feel like, the world. but there's people who want to spout, like when I talk about like, okay, what's going on right now? And then people start quoting Bible verses to me. I'm like, that's not helpful. I could play that game. <laughs> I cannot. I read the Bible, <laughs> of course. But I'm just, to me, I'm just like, can you tell me about a bill? Like, can you quote a bill that's currently like being pushed through that's going to like harm you? Because that is actually much more of a practical approach at this point. It took me a long time to get to this point too, right? But I just say that to say that we're in a time in America where it's abundantly clear that fascism is like moving, right? And I know this because I see an abundance of people that are trying their best to figure out how they can get on the boat with it. Right. Like to me, that's like a good indicator of when something really has momentum is when you just see folks trying to clamor to grab hold of it. And then you see the other folks that are really trying to do their best version of Katara in Avatar The Last mm. Airbender and like waterbend the ship from getting forward. Shout out to my geeks that know this reference. If you don't look it up, it's on Nickelodeon. But I say all that to say that, like, what? Can you explain fascism to folks? You made sure, a reference, but can absolutely. you explain fascism to folks? And also what you think is the real effort for us right now? Because I know that I do a lot of talking and trying to encourage people to become more informed, but also to become more connected to a purpose that has like more to it than just the quest for money. Because these are right. the things to me that make you show up differently in certain situations, right? Mm -hmm. And by the way, I will never recover from the fact that an entire train of people watched Jordan Neely be murdered in front of their face. I will never recover from this because I know that in my time in New York, I experienced a similar situation to where I was being attacked and people watched and didn't do anything. And it actually ended up being these three white boys with locks. You can't choose your heroes. That <laughs> Shout out to the three boys with locks. <laughs> them three white boys with dreadlocks. Thank you. 
Matthew, Mark, and Luke came up the train and like <laughs> surrounded me and, you know, prevented uh, One-Eyed Willie from continuing to beat me with my own box on the train. And it's a whole bit that I will do in my next special, not I the one that's coming out this summer with the next one. But I say all that to say, though, that like had the roles been reversed, mm. I may have died that day because there's no way I'm letting that happen on my watch. Like, n- no way. And I just felt like on a train of people, there should always be at least one person. And I'll never, I don't think I will ever get over the fact that not even one person tried to stop it. But that's something else that I'm sure you will address because you address everything that I said. Sure. So in fascism. the fascism, sure. what in your opinion is the effort? We can start at the very beginning. For people that are confused at home, fascism comes from the Latin word fasci. And what did fasci, I tell y'all? What did I tell y'all? You said the beginning. People thought you were going to say Hitler. No, no, Carry no. On. The fasci were a group of sticks and a group of axes that were tied together with twine. And they were put on either side of the Roman Senate. And they exemplified the power that they held over other people. Now, when we talk about dictatorship, that's actually a legal position within the Republic. So for those people that are unaware our great president Eisenhower, who probably was a bigot, but he was a dictator of the United States. He had absolute power during World War II. As a matter of fact, he retained absolute power afterwards because if you pay attention out there and you don't get upset because we're not trying to hurt your feelings, we're trying to inform you, Eisenhower did things that Republicans would call communist now. He told the major corporations in the United States, you war profiteered during World War II. You doubled the price of steel. You made a hell of a lot of money. So guess what? Because we had a gigantic war, we're going to tax you to 90%. I'm going to repeat that. Not nine, nine zero. Some companies got 93, 94% taxes because they had to pay back the man. Nowadays, they would call up their local news station that they own and tell them, we're gonna call Eisenhower a communist, right? During the course of this kind of transition to fascism, one of the things that Augustus did when he invented the empire, right, was that he took the best soldiers from the Roman army and he said, would you like to serve in Belgium or Pannonia? or some other shithole in Spain, right? Sorry, it was a shitty place back then. People were dying everywhere. Like they couldn't hold it because the Basque people consistently killed Romans all the time. It was an area they couldn't hold. So would you rather serve in a place where people are trying to kill you? Just a side note, that's a reference also in Game of Thrones to, <laughs> to Dorne. That's a reference to Dorne. Carry so on. so they, they came back and they became what they call the Praetorian Guard, which is... In other words, the first police force that any giant city had. Rome had no police force back then. If you study history, Rome was governed in different sections by rich people who yeah. just had their own gangs that said, keep order, make sure no one dies. And Augustus said, uh, I'm going to take all the power out of your hands. And now the Praetorians belong to me. And the proximity to power is what protects them. And when you look at what people ask and other people who have held the position of dictatorship, for example, Napoleon. I know we're jumping time, but interestingly enough, when he was asked by the people of Italy, can you invade and, you know, kick this other nation or or overthrow the kingdom of Naples or whatnot? He said to them, I will absolutely come to Italy and I will overthrow this government. But I only have one request. And it's really weird when you listen to it, but it's true. He didn't ask them for money. He said, the only thing I say is that when I get there, you cannot question the conduct of my soldiers. They do not take orders from you. They take orders from me. I tell them what to do, not you. 
And interestingly enough, the Napoleonic Wars are also the birth of guerrilla war because he made a mistake in invading Spain. And at that particular time, it has nothing to do with Latin America, people. This comes from their wars, right? These people would cut up the French soldiers into pieces and put their limbs on trees like we see in the 300 movie. Like it was barbaric the way they would attack each other. And when you talk about gorillas and apes, for people who are unfamiliar with how those species fight, they try to rip off the genitals and rip off the the body parts of their opponents. That's why when people own chimps, you cannot own a chimp like that because if you, if it if it fights you, it doesn't want to throw hands with you. It doesn't want to punch you. It wants to rip out your eye, bite out your tongue. Like this is what people were doing to each other in the name of absolute power, fascism. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Can I also just point out that there was another great ape called the Bonobo, which actually is a matriarchal <laughs> society. And they have evolved to actually not fight to solve their problems. They actually have sex to solve their problems. And they managed to keep, it's true, and they managed to keep the males it's in true. the society like from acting up because there's such a strong bond between the women. And when Bonobo clans come across other Bonobo clans, they don't fight. They share their food. And the reason why we never learned about them at the same way that we learned about chimps, the same way that we learned about gorillas is because when the original anthropologists came to Africa, well, invaded Africa and were walking around and doing whatever the fuck that they think they're supposed to be doing, which in actuality, should, they should have had their asses home. But when they came through and was writing shit down, they saw the bonobos in the DRC and they saw the chimps and they said, eh, we don't care about the bonobos because they were so peaceful that it didn't reflect to them their experience of humanity. Mm. They were like, the chimps have anger and rage and they hurt each other, et cetera. This is what we're used to. But the this chimps, other shit is boring. Interestingly enough, the chimps are dominated by something called like an equality basis. So if you give chimps equal food, like if I'm holding a box of cookies and I give all the chimps one cookie, ironically, according to most studies, they'll be cool with me. But if I give one chimp an extra cookie or if I take extra cookies, they're furious. There's something in them that automatically says wrong. You're wrong, a colonizer. Wrong, wrong, they're like, you're destroy, trying to start destroy, some shit between destroy, us. Destroy. However, interestingly enough, all chimp societies have kind of the same fate. They grow so large and so big that then some of the younger males that come mm -hmm. up after yeah. the, the, like the alpha male, they, try and fight they say, we're breaking off. We're taking our own things much like human society. However, if we read Diop, and I think it's interesting, there is a conversation about a time in the European Valley, closer to, I would say, Eastern Europe. Um, I believe we're talking about the year 
16, 14, 16,000 BC, there's actually a recorded society of women who lived in that area. Mind you, this is around the time of Cheddar Man. So for people who don't know Cheddar Man, that's one of the first- uh, I don't know who Cheddar Man is, but I love cheddar. I have night cheese every night. So Cheddar Man is interestingly enough, a incredibly melanated British person, one of the people that they think are the first human beings who were living in Britain. And this is an incredibly melanated man with blue eyes and the beginning of what they see as a thinner bridge nose. And what people are saying is that Cheddar Man exemplifies the idea that Africans moved up to Europe, realized I have to change the pigment of my skin because I have to absorb the sun's rays. Whereas I lived in a place that was so hot and the sun was out that my skin was to block the sun's rays so I wouldn't get cancer as opposed to here, I have to take in the sun's rays. Also, my nose is thing, not because I have some desire to look like uh, a, a modeling ad. <laughs> right. No, but because I live in a place where it's colder and therefore if I have a larger nose and I breathe in oxygen while I'm running, I could freeze my lungs to death. I could die. So these things are naturally occurring and it shows you the phenotype of an individual where is it relates to race has more to do with their location than what an individual decided. And some people are flabbergasted. Bill Nye talked about that. this. But I think that what is interesting is that they show that this society that was matriarchal, that was run by women for about three or 4,000 years, right? Was destroyed by what they call the Kurgan people, which were some of the first people who domesticated horses. And if you look at Europe, it's actually one of the, it's not really a continent, although they call it that, it's part of Asia, but it's one of the places in the world that has had the most amounts of genocide, the most amounts of people that come and take over from other people. And that's not to denigrate the people, but definitely the society is structured for that. And when you look at what's been normalized, you can look at alcoholism being normalized in Europe because in the Middle Ages, there were no amount of fresh water. And also it was because the Eastern Roman Empire didn't want the West to compete with them because they were taken over by what they called monophysite Christians, people that believed the father was below the son instead of equivalent and part of one. So I think when you, when you look at that the kings of Europe were definitely influenced by Rome and continued kind of that idea of fascism, but could no longer justify it through simple saying, I'm the conqueror and I won. So that's when God was involved. And fascism is simply a monarchy without God. And monarchy is simply fascism with God involved. I have God's rubber stamp, which is why the first person to ever denigrate the combination of church and state was actually the Pope Galatius. He said, you can never combine church and state, not because the state will be influenced by the church. No, but because the, the church, church, the holy church, <laughs> is supposed to be about the word of Christ, he said, to a, a group of Romans. And people agreed with him. And for years, this was the way that it was run. He said, how could we do this? Because if we start a war, it won't be our war. It'll be God's war. And it's not God's war. He said, you shouldn't mix the word of Christ in the politics of filth and conspiracy and bribery and murder because that's what the state is on its natural level. If you and I kill a person, we go to jail. The state kills a person. It doesn't end, right? Right. The interesting part about when you look at fascism and you look at dictatorship and you look at things from a right-wing or a left-wing perspective, they're both a legal basis for that. So dictatorship was when a society is under so much stress that they have to elect one leader in order for them to be saved. Now, there's a primary example of this that ended well, and there's a primary examples that end very badly. What's an example that ended well? 
There was a Roman leader called Cincinnatus. We named the city of Cincinnati after him. The Gauls invaded Rome once upon a time. Is that where we get the term, you have the Gaul? Yeah. Okay. The Gauls, the Gauls. Uh, You'd have to have a lot of Gaul to invade. The Gauls invaded Rome. <laughs> and here's the thing. Before the Goths sacked it in 410, they came probably, I would say, a few hundred years earlier, and they reached the gates of Rome. So what they did is they said, if you want us to not invade Rome, you have to give us the weight of our weapons. So they threw all of their swords on there, right? And the people of Rome brought all their gold and they weighed it out and it was equal. And so the leader of the Gauls at the time came over and said, no, no, no. And he took like his broadsword out and threw it on top and then put his crown and made all the leaders of Rome take off their jewelry so that they would balance it out. He literally left them without their chains. Like he snatched a chain and went home. And Have you done this in a music video yet? So Cincinnati- <laughs> I feel like you should really do this. So Cincinnati said, no, fuck this. This is bullshit. These Gauls ain't going to come down here and do this shit no more. So he went up there with legions, aired them all out, like just decimated their populations in the part of France that would be nearer to the Alps. So okay. that particular area was cleared out for Roman settlements. And when he returned, he knelt before the Senate and gave them his sword. Now, what fascism enabled him to do was to conscript soldiers, conscript people's stuff, take your shit. I can take your shit legally. Mm -hmm. However, when he returned to the Senate, he was like given a triumph and he was admired so much because he returned power to other rich people. Right. He gave power back to the aristocracy, in other words, not to the people. We confuse that sometimes. But he gave power back to a larger power structure. But he did what he set out to do right. and didn't yes. then take the inch and then the mile. But then people forget that he's then followed, not directly by Caesar, but by a group of other dictators of the Roman Republic. For example, there's Marius and there's Sulla. And these people have interesting endings too. For example, Marius grew so old as a dictator that he once ordered the attack on a separate group of his own men because he imagined that they were different troops. And at that point, people say that he was probably killed by his own men because they realized, okay, you you're dementia. getting to the point yeah. where you just have dementia. You don't know what you're doing. But people followed his advice and they did what he did. Sulla is another example, is a person who crossed the Rubicon, as they say. That's the phrase. And he was. Can you can, side note? The Rubicon is a river near the city of Rome. Thank you. And when you cross the Rubicon, it's like saying you've passed the point of no return. We we you here to throw hands, right? So because people hear that phrase, and they don't know what it means. And when you say that, it mean that's what it means. So now you know what it means. Okay, okay. we're back. So I mean, I think that that is a, a perfect example of what would be seen as fascism, whereas we see it now. Look, I, I understand that people really, really like to stick to their sides in politics, but I have seen Republicans push fascism. I've seen Democrats push fascism, and that is the ultimate control of the state. For example, Republicans pushed fascism. Now they have a convenient, forgetful memory, right? Because they've all gotten behind Trump, who said that he was against the Iraq war. But I haven't forgot how those people in the conservative movement rubbed their pussy to dead children for 15 years in Iraq and Afghanistan. You cheered the murder of those people. I watched you on television. I read your comments. So please don't, don't now reinvent yourself behind this circus performer and now tell me that you're all of a sudden anti-war. You were pro-war. You were pro-drone. As a matter of fact, the Republican Party was so pro-drone and pro-war that they pushed the Democrats into 
taking off their fake mask because mm-hmm. they were pretending like they were anti-war, just like the French during the Iraq war. They were like, oh, we are not going to Iraq. And everyone's like, freedom fries, they're weak. And then when you realize, oh no, uh, a little treaty called Sykes-Picot cut up the Middle East back in the day, and Iraq is not their slice. It's not their problem. It was Britain's problem. Britain got Iraq, which was at the time called Mesopotamia. They got Egypt as part of their slice, Kuwait, the modern country, Saudi Arabia. All that was England's problem. England handed that to the U.S. after World War II. Then France's slice was Syria, Lebanon, and that's why those countries speak French. French. Right. The Russians said, "Okay, cool. We'll take the Caucasus. Mm -hmm. Right. And that was their little deal. When the U.S. then bailed out France and Europe, they said, "Okay, we'll we'll take all trans Jordan, Israel, Palestine, all the things that are there now, Jordan. We'll take that. And that became kind of their inheritor. So when the war in Syria started, France was all for that. And Britain was out. Why? It's in Syria. That's not my slice. That's your fucking (laughs) problem. And then when it was the French. In Iraq, it was the reversal. So you see very clearly that those lines are drawn and that they've been there forever, irrespective of what the people themselves in that area want or what's good for them. No, I can't afford a competing entity. Therefore, there can be no Arab Union. I I, Listen, I know people in the Democratic Party. They've literally said to me, I think that we would sooner hand over Jerusalem to the Palestinians than we would allow there to be a South American Union. That will never happen in the existence because that would mean the end economically of the strength that America has on this side of the world. Literally, this is how people talk. And it's crazy because I would love to imagine that a person that is virtue signaling and telling me they care so much about me really does. But unfortunately, I just have to base my opinion on everything they've ever done. And to me, I think that there are so many proximities to fascism that both of them play with. But obviously, because of the religious tone of what right-wingers do, that plays into the God aspect of fascism, which is the monarchy part, which means God has anointed this. God wanted us to go to war in Iraq and Afghanistan. No, he didn't. God didn't want you to do any of those I find that more dangerous. In many ways, I think it is, but I think it's only because when people say, I don't want to argue with leftists because I don't care how they talk, they don't listen to you, I say, okay, argue with a religious person. You, well, they, they'll, they'll be even worse because in the middle of the argument, they'll just start singing and praying. Yes. And then the other people will start saying, you realize that it's a cult that has grown so big that you can't criticize it anymore. And then when I say things to people like, I'm sorry, I don't believe that Joseph Smith is a prophet. And I think that Mormonism is like an excuse for people to have taken yes. indigenous people's land. That offends individuals until you point out that all the sects or the majority of Christian sects that exist in this country were invented in the 1800s. They're not from like 562 <laughs> AD. They're not from Ethiopia. No, bro. They're from like 1844, somewhere <laughs> in like Florida. Bro. And it's, and it's somebody who was like, you know, I think I, I think I could do this. Like, it's just somebody who had the gall. (laughs) I think one of the other things that is not spoken about, and I've talked about this on one other podcast, is if the end result of what people think the left is, is communism, then what is the end result of what the right wants? And there's an answer for that. It's called the theory of the seven mountains. Oh, God. And the seven I mountains. told you, Jeremiah, I told you, he's going to take us there and where we've arrived.
McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning their chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Tell us about the Seven Mountains well, and how Bessie DeVos. You, you, you can you, see listen, the documentary, The Family, listen, on Netflix. Listen, I would love to. I, I've been talking too much. I think Amanda needs to share it. No, but basically, because, no, 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 but, no, okay, no. Basically, you, because I, this is my podcast. I talk all the time. You're here. <laughs> Are basically, the seven mountains relegate seven things that the religious community would like controlled by them. Well, wait, can we be specific about the religious community? Because I don't feel like it's blanketed. I mean, it's. I feel like it's also very specific to like this Southern offshoot of Christianity that came out of but it's also, I the think Confederacy. It, I think it's expanded because I think that people forget that manifest destiny wasn't a Southern thing, right? It was like- a, Touché. Right? It's a something that comes across the board. And I think that whether we know it or not, that other individuals who may have participated in the slave trade did so by thinking they were doing those people a favor in their own head. And what I mean by that is that wickedness is often done with the excuse in the person's mind who's doing the wickedness by thinking that somehow I have to justify it to myself by acting like I'm doing something for you. Mm -hmm. And self-righteousness is justified in a person who's giving by saying, oh, I get to ignore all my other responsibilities because of this. Oh, no, that doesn't excuse you being a bad father or you doing fucked up shit. No, no, because I've seen people that can balance those things yeah. too. So it has to reflect in a person's character. Whereas to the religious community you speak to, it is tricky to put them in that box only because conservative Christians, when they first came out as evangelicals, were not a voting block. The first president that they actually voted for was Jimmy Carter, mm. not Ronald Reagan. Right. They thought Jimmy Carter, and they voted for him, ironically, because they thought he was a moral man. They didn't think he was the best candidate. This is the truth. They, when, when the pulpit came up, they said, no, we don't know if he's the best politician, but he's the best Christian for this job. He's a person we can look to and his moral compass is good. We know that this is a good man. And Jimmy Carter, people have a consensus that he wasn't a great president. But no one says that he had any sex scandals. No one knows about him, you know what I mean, getting domed out by a secretary or burying his wife in a golf course or starting a secret war or bombing people with robots. He didn't do any of these things. In fact, he put solar panels. <laughs> right. I mean, he let <laughs> a he led a failed rescue in Iran, which was also something that Henry Kissinger helped to shoot him in the foot by because he wanted Reagan there. But that's a much longer story. However, so back to the point, the evangelicals themselves do believe in a lot of these things that aren't necessarily attached to the Bible, but they've become kind of this overarching reality of what has to happen for prophecy to occur. So when they support Israel, people have this confusion that, you know, for all the people that may watch this show that are Jewish, it's not Jewish organizations in America that are the biggest supporters of Israel. It's conservative Christian organizations. And there's this kind of duplicitous 
nature to it because their prophecy says that two thirds of all Hebrew people have to die and then the last one third will come to Christ. I think that that's terrifying if I would be honest, if I was someone else and I think, wait, so I have to die? And then my point about Mormonism following in suit with that is that when you look at what it says, it says that Christ disappeared from there, appeared here in the year 1000 AD, and that everyone on this side of the world was white. And because some committed sin, right, they were cursed with the mark of Cain and they were made black and brown. I'm sorry, but that's fundamentally racist and also patently false. <laughs> yes. It's historic. It has no basis in history. It's, it's something literally I can just look at. homeboy was in the woods and he probably ate a mushroom. <laughs> That well, had, re- if we're saying that, then all religions started that well, way. Well, I'm just <laughs> saying, I mean, it's like he probably had some type of, you know, uh, trip and was like, yeah, this makes sense. And then went along and pushed it. And people are so in need of like leadership. Uh, let me just say this. I feel like it would be white people in the cults. For the most part, it'd be white people in the cults. In America, it's like, I rarely hear about black people getting sucked into cults the way I see white people who sucked into cults. But I think, listen, if, if you want to- What is it, that? Mm, I'm not sure because there's so many religious black folks and religious Latino people that their standard bearer is Pat Robertson, that they get their but are, are they? But are they in the cult where they're getting fucked and they oh, eat, you know what I'm saying? Well, like the, the, I'm not saying that they're in the eyes wide shut cult. But they participate in the cult by supporting it monetarily. And also, interestingly enough, I'd like to think that they're all bots that are in like digital blackface. But some of the people that comment on this shit are legitimately swung. And I think there's another factor that we haven't really discussed. And that's what we call rage farming. So when people make a post about something and there's no real discussion, right? There's nothing that they're actually going to promote in terms of a discussion. They know what they're doing. They're, they come. I was having this conversation with Penn. The same conservative people will come to my community and tell me these black people bring crime. And then okay. they'll come to the black community and say, hey, you know what? We were going to give you these reparations, but we spent the money on these immigrants. Like, you don't have $12 trillion, bro. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Right. If a motherfucker owe you $10, right? And he claim he can't pay you, but he at home with $12 million? It's a slap in the face. And this is how they play the community. Now, when I hear people that are misled by some of these statistics, I'm not immediately angered by them. Because I think that there's something to be said about people that only advocate for their people. I think everybody needs that. And there used to be a time in which I was more combative about that because I felt, oh, and now I say, oh, no, you've just been lied to. Oh, I'm still in the so, time that you were in. So, I'm still so, in that time. But I think it's because they're expecting something different. So when they come to me and they say, oh, you know, Latinos are so racist, I laugh and I'll be like, you want me to tell you How? It's a remnant of a caste system. And there is a legal basis for a person that's so-called indigenous becoming white that's not available to black people in Latin America. Mm-hmm. And I, we had a discussion about this last time. It's because a white person that marries an indigenous person is called a mestizo. A white person that marries a black person was called a mulatto, racist, racist term. term. But then let's take it one step down. The mestizo that marries a white person is called a castizo. 
a so-called mulatto that marries a white person is called a quadroon in that society. However, if the castizo marries a white person in Latin American society, they're legally white. If the quadroon, so-called, which is, again, we're using these disgusting terms just to make a point, marries a white person, they're still going to be an octoroon, stextroon until you pass for white. That's the rule. And that's why you see so much racism, I believe, in the South, not just because they're racist white people, but because of that black cop syndrome. Because so many of the white people that are in the South actually have passed. Your grandparents were passed for black. You were the white people that tanned. And that's why you had to be harder on black people so they wouldn't know that you're black too, motherfucker. Because if you take a lot of them racist white people, they have about 5-10% sub-Saharan African DNA. Mm -hmm. It just don't show up. And that's the crazy part. It, it makes you realize how much people have denied themselves. And so when I have conversations with individuals, I'm capable of having them on that level where I say, hey, brother, they're hoodwinking you. You do realize that. Oh, by the way, you cannot intimidate me with Crips and Bloods because I know the origin of those people and I know the OGs. And I'm the person that can still go back to Sureños and Norteños and people that are my people and indigenous and say, this is how they set us up. They claim that these people come to our neighborhood to bring crime. First of all, the thing that brought them here was a crime. <laughs> can we start with that? Right. The fact that they had these people, these individuals that they set up to be like a crash test dummy. And they made them think that they were doing something honorably. So when you had something like a Buffalo soldier, you realize that you were there to serve in some sort of honorary capacity as they're told you. Because if they really said, well, what we really wanted is a black meat shield that would take the bows and arrows and the spears so that we could go home to our families and the indigenous people would end up just killing and fighting with you, mm -hmm. then it wouldn't be so honorable. Which brings us to the other point, ladies and gentlemen. If you don't like participation trophies, then we shouldn't give medals to soldiers for wars that we don't win. Why? Because you didn't win the game. You took the hill, but you didn't win the war. Well, they're only doing that to make it feel like there's some value in serving in this war and serving in these military spaces, even though at the end of the day, they're just regular folks that are not going to reap the benefits. So, yes. I mean, it really is just a participation trophy to encourage people to have incentive to keep coming. But I think the whole point of the phrasing is that too many people in this country talk about not understanding someone's participation. See, I'm not against participation trophies. I'm against because the participation Because you know why? Because I believe that if a person had an effort and grew from an experience, that they've won something greater than whatever the prize may be. For example, they don't I, need the trophy. But I know people that have come home from war and they lost everything. And that medal is not indicative of what they lost. The medal doesn't mean that they're brave. This, ironically, it comes from the karate kid. The medal means that you're lucky. Is it fair to say, is it, is it, is it fair to say that shot. it is a false equivalency to compare war to a cross-country race in middle school? I think the one thing about a false equivalency would be is if you can't find the same rationale. A person says, okay, was the goal achieved? Yes or no? Was some incredible effort put 
towards getting the goal, right? Like, you know what? You broke your ankle and you got a touchdown, but we did not win the game. America hasn't won a war since World War II. Does that mean that the people who sacrifice their lives to save another person when they're doing it? Because the reality is that most soldiers, when they die or do something, they're trying to save another person. They're putting their life in harm for other people. So in other words, when they get there, the psychology of the soldier changes. And I only know this because my family's in the military. It becomes less about the Star Spangled Banner and it becomes more about the unit. It becomes more about, okay, Amanda's in our unit. I got her six. I got to make sure she's alive because she makes sure I'm alive. And it stops being about the Star Spangled Banner and it starts being about the person on my right and the person on my left. Mm -hmm. And that, if I participated in you going home alive, then that to me is a great medal. But at the same time, we didn't win. The way we left Afghanistan was an absolute fucking shame and shambles, worse than the Russians. The way that our war in Syria and our war in Iraq ended were an absolute disaster. And I think that there's something that could be said about the sacrifices that people have made within that. Now, is it totally different in but terms I think of that's practice? Where, oh, I think that's yes. what's being rewarded, though, like the sacrifice. I don't think there's the same level of sacrifice in playing a football game. No, but I think the difference <laughs> is if a person, obviously, well, again, because we're comparing the philosophy, not the action. A philosophy of a person is to say, Yes, a prize was given for something that was not achieved. So while you can draw a comparative line and say, okay, crashing a plane is not the same thing as crashing a car. You kill more people. Sure, absolutely. In theory, though, you've crashed. In theory, it's someone's fault. In theory, someone dies. But I think that's where we end up running into, that's where I feel like I end up running into the frustration of practical applications for change. Because I think, particularly in the present day, there's a lot of theory and there's a lot of philosophy, but then there's just like the actuality of like these people are in power and are doing things every day that have beginnings and ends and then create repercussions. Right. And then like we wax poetic about like, well, you know, are they do like when I ask people about like, why do they think people are doing these things? Why do they think people in power are doing this? Some people are like, oh, it's greed. Some people are like, oh, they're being paid off by the NRA, which is still greed. Right. But then other people will be like, it's sin or like it's the devil. And I'm like, even if you think that, which I'm not going to tell you that it's not that because I can't even tell you what their reasoning is. But even if you think that, what is your counter to that? How do you how do you fight that? And at a certain point. I just feel like we have to move beyond philosophy, beyond just philosophy and theory to identifying like the actual practical enemies in front of us and the ways they are addressed and the ways they are smote out. So here's an interesting thing. For everyone that says right-wingers are automatically fascist or all racist, I can give you plenty of examples of how they are. It's not a false equivalency to say that they're that because you have plenty of examples that are shining and perpetuating of that. Mm -hmm. So in the same token, a person that would leave everything behind to go to war and not achieve a goal and still end up with the scars of that that comes home, I don't see, I mean, I'm not a pro-war guy, right? But like, for example, the other day I had a green card veteran shirt. So people kept asking me about it. And I said, listen, you know, veterans are being deported. And this movement started because a guy, a young Marine, God forgive me, I forgot his name. This organization has it. He passed away in Iraq and they tried to deport his mother. And all the Marines came out, black, white, Mexican, fucking Puerto Rican. They were all standing in front of the house like, no, 
This is the birth of the movement. You cannot deport somebody that's given their life. We don't agree with the war. We don't agree with the fact that we were there, but you cannot do this to this person. Right. That's not a false equivalency to call that a participant. Because she didn't participate in the war, but she gave the ultimate sacrifice, which she put her son's life on the goddamn yeah. altar of what people told her at the time was freedom. Remember, the excuses for the war was not originally what they well, told us. It was not you, regime change. Are you, it was are you nuclear clear on what war? I'm talking about as a false equivalency? Because I don't, I'm saying that her doing that ultimate sacrifice is not the same as a mother taking their son to football practice and them not winning the game. No, That's what I'm saying. No, uh, but I'm not debating that. Okay. What I'm debating is the idea that a person is still going to get a reward for not being the winner, for not being the person that comes out on top, for not doing the thing that you were actually but I think in, and to, supposed to the, do. I figured it out. Here's the false equivalency. See what happens when we talk? Here's why it's a false you equivalency. Here's why it's a false equivalency. And I'll tell you why it's not. Okay. Because at the end of the football game that everyone participated in, if you win, you won that victory. Right? If you were in the game, you win that victory. Right? Like you're able, you, you have it on your record. Like you're able to say like, we won this victory. Somebody's getting that game ball though. Fair. But the person that's getting that game ball is usually on the team. In the winning of a war, no one who participated in the actual fighting of the war reaps the benefits of the win. It depends on what in time actual, we're, ta we're talking about. Well, if we're if we're going to talk about well, I modern think, war or past war. So, well, for we example, can, for, well, let me just say uh, this. I know that we're talking about the well, history me, of war. Sure. Well, let me just say this. I think there's also a difference in the fact that there were wars where people were drafted. They weren't even choosing to be a part of the game. So, mm. I think in that regard, like you can't even apply those situations because those are folks that were forced to be a part of a scenario that yes, they should be honored for surviving or not surviving at, at, at any rate because that's the l ultimate least this motherfucking place can do for forcing people to put their lives on the line for a country that in many cases is not even going to give a fuck about them. Like look at all the black and Latino folks that went over to war and came back and still had to drink from another fountain. Look at all them white people that came back from Vietnam and Iraq and you now sitting in nothing right now. You listening to this podcast from a park bench. <laughs> well, I think- there's also the, the there's also some freedom. of those same people who the only thing that they are sitting in is that they're not black and Latino. Like that's <laughs> I, where they, that's, that's I feel the, really <laughs> sorry for people with that mentality. <laughs> but, that's, but that's but that's what's sold to some individuals. Yes. The other thing, so what I think makes it to me equivalent in the sense is no one's trying to equate the actual death of an individual with someone getting a scraped knee. Right. What we're saying is you're so opposed, you're so angry that someone ran in the race got a medal and you think that it somehow dulled the effect of the winning trophy. Well, does the medal that a person gets for getting a purple heart when your friend's dead, that don't dull the fact that that person's gone. Whatever happened, it doesn't take away the pain and the suffering and the sacrifice that you had to make for that. So it's not a question of equating death with, like I said before, a scraped knee. It's with the idea that your whatever you were told to complete was not completed. When it comes to war, though, I will say this. We started with Rome. We can go back there and go up through the ages. During the Republic, right? During the Empire, they paid the troops. During the Republic, Roman people that were signing up to be legionaries were not paid. They took their weight in bounty and booty. And what I mean by that is after the Roman legion left, they had what they call the followers camp. 
And if people want to look up followers camp, it was where the Roman legionaries kept their slaves that they took from places. So they had a personal stake in the war winning. So yes, throughout history, I can give you several other examples from indigenous tribes and also African societies that did similar things. And why I think this is so important is because it plays into one of the most powerful criticisms that I've ever had of this country. And the problem that I've had with America is the cowardness of the United States to just admit that it did things because it could. The Romans, the caliphate, these other societies, when they took slaves, they would say, I'm sorry, you lost the war. That's why you're a slave. They did not need to invent eugenics. They did not need to invent fake science and justify it through a series of bullshit arguments that have now we're living in the remnant of. That's what created the racism that we live in now. Not anything else. Those justifications, because if it literally had been, we took you because we could, and that's what the fuck it is, when the slavery ended, people would say, well, they, they're not lesser human beings. They just lost the fucking war. Yeah. They lost the war. Okay, these people lost the war, and now they're fine. They're great. We don't think that the German people are subhuman, but they lost the fucking war, right? We all can agree on that. They got their asses kicked, and we put their fucking flag in Berlin. But we didn't say that they were subhuman. That is my problem. And that is opened up by realizing that those participation trophies are things that society has been more than willing to criticize in the day and era that we have now. But the participation of troops was based on reinforcing the state. So when people say, oh, the Nazis were left wing because they were socialists, I say, wait a minute. There were three companies in Nazi Germany that were like the forebearers of everything, that controlled everything. So where was his infrastructure program? Where was Hitler's free lunch program? No, it was an imperialist, fascist society. The fact that it had the emblem or the idea of a national worker socialist party was to create some sort of populist yes. message. And yes. I think this is wherein people get confused with the lexicon, the vernacular, whatever people want to choose to call it, the phrasing of it, rather than the actual meat and potatoes. That's what, what I'm trying means. to talk. That's what I'm trying to so say. So when America stole people and it just said to them, you know what? We just took you and that's it. But because of eugenics, because of the other yes. three fifths of a man, and to go back to the original point, this was reinforced, unfortunately, ladies and gentlemen, through religion. So when we talk about making a change, if you want to make a change, and I saw you going off about the kids that were shot, I'm afraid that you're addressing the wrong people, Amanda. You have to address the religious leaders of the United States because they have- Oh, I address them too. They, they have, <laughs> but I'm just saying, I think from now on, what people that really want to make that change in that community, in the right-wing community, you have to address the religious leaders because they very much have much more control than people think that they do in this society. I wouldn't say that they're equivalent to like a high rabbi in Israel yet, but that's the power that they lust for. And I remind we'll people- We'll speak to the seven- um, I remind people the reason that I feel like America, from a godly perspective, from a religious perspective, is misguided. is not because of interracial marriages like people thought in the 50s. It's not because someone's gay. It's because when this country was founded, there were a group of people that made themselves God, that lied and pretended like they had the authority to call someone else a person and not- and when you tried to make yourself God, that's the moment that Christ abandoned you. And that's the moment that Christ abandoned this nation. 
And unless, until you atone for those things, because it's one thing that to word. apologize. It's one thing to say, mm-hmm. hey, forgive me, God. But when you read the Bible, that's only half the sin. Mm-hmm. The other half of the sin in correction is to atone. I stole from my friend. I'm sorry. Okay, great. <laughs> Are you going to give him back what you stole? <laughs> Restore the we just talk about like, yo, man, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you spent 10 years in jail for a crime you didn't commit. Go home. No. Compensate. Even the most racist state got to atone. They got to atone. But hit. So my problem is this. My grandfather, God rest his soul, was a Moor, like a fez and all that. Mm-hmm. And there's a famous saying that all Moors are, are Masons, but not every Mason is a Moor. He used to have a Quran. And I was like, well, you're a religious man. You live in a Catholic country. What is the Quran for? So I asked my friend of mine, I don't have, I don't know too many Masons. I'm not a Mason myself, but I asked him, I said, what is the significance of the Quran? And the brother broke it down for me. He said, Brother, none of the works of Aristotle or Socrates or Cicero or any Greek or Roman exist in any papyrus or parchment or wax scraping. The only reason that they exist is because Moorish, African, and Islamic scholars decided to recopy these things in like the third, fourth, fifth, and sixth century, right? And thank God, because then the Mongols came through and burned your fucking library. So thank God you recorded it and sent it to all parts of the world. How could you take people that you knew were capable of not just building their own society, but preserving yours and pretend that they're a monkey. Pretend that they're less of a person just because you're behind Europe economically and you need to create an infrastructure. That's what you needed. So without being honest and without coming to terms of why America did these things, that's always been my main issue with how people see slavery or see all these things. It's not the past It's the future, right? We talk about the middle passage. We're not talking about the past. Sure, we can have a complete conversation about what the middle passage was and how it relegates to the past and how it invented the world that we live in now and how 90% of the African people that were stolen from Africa were never actually brought to the United States of America. They were all brought to this place that we call Latin America, Central America, and the Caribbean. But the reality is that for a giant period of time, The people that ran this country knew that. George Washington was a Mason. He knew that. Thomas Jefferson, Mason, they knew that. Mm. So you knew these things, right? And at the same time, you still perpetuated the great lie. But even you got a participation trophy. Harlem. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Oh, before we go any further, 
There's something I want to bring up right now that's kind of close to my heart, and I I don't know. I didn't know if I was going to say it on your show, but I want to say it now. Okay. I want to send a rest in peace to my cousin Daniel Gutierrez. I buried him two days ago, and I just want to let everybody know out there that he was a personal inspiration for me. And I don't know why I'm decided to talk about it now, but I want to send a message to your fans. My cousin was a studio engineer, and he shared a studio with two other people. And there was a young lady they hired to be a receptionist in the studio. And fuck these coward-ass motherfuckers that can't take no from a woman because she broke up with some idiot. And then he came to the spot and wilded out and apparently killed her and then killed the person that she was seeing. Mm-hmm. And made a phone call saying that some guy walked in and described my cousin and said, I didn't mean to kill him, but he walked in the room. So they killed him too. And it breaks my heart because I think we're talking about life and death and all these things from a very abstract position. But this is the reality that we live in, right? And my cousin was one of the first people that I ever knew with a studio, right? He had um, <laughs> he had his egg crates on the fucking wall. <laughs> he ripped a mattress and the niggas. Um, him and my cousin George, who passed away, died in a drunk driving accident. That's why I never drink or drive. He um. He uh, he was the first guy who ever got me to, to record even me laughing. Like some of my friends, sure, my friend's father, great man, he had a, a video editing studio, but I'd never seen like a recording booth. Like they had a SP-1200 and you know what I mean? Like they had a four track and funny stuff. And I just want to say uh, rest in peace. And I, I just want to tell my family that he's in my heart and I love him and that he stays inspiring me and that I definitely, I'm going to shout him out on the next project that I do. And I just want to remind people, yo, like the ladies out there, be safe, yo, be safe. And there's nothing wrong with with telling your friends that there's a problem. There's nothing wrong with that. And also, fellas, you got to be careful when you're rushing into something, right? She called saying that there was some kind of crazy thing. But the part that bothers me, I'm going to be real with you, Amanda, and this is where I feel like I wanted to come to this platform because you got a big platform and maybe you could help. The woman was found in a suitcase, chopped up. The dude was shot and moved to the side of the road. And then this brother that they say killed my cousin, some random black dude named Jenkins, they put all the blame on him. And I thought to myself, well, that's convenient, right? Because if I try to move this couch right now, Amanda, I'm not going to be able to do it. But if you and me try to move this couch, we might be able to push it. It only weighs 120 pounds. Yes. So y'all killed a woman. You chopped her up. Right? This ain't make the news because it was during another shooting that happened, right? So nobody's talking about it. But in Lancaster, California, a young woman was murdered and chopped into pieces and put into a fucking suitcase. And I want to say something else. The police didn't find my cousin. Y'all didn't find him. And I didn't say this at the funeral because that day wasn't about me. That was about my cousin and about my family. But today is about me, motherfucker. You didn't find him. My cousin found him. She found him with a dog and her husband and a fucking drone. And to me, I just want to say, listen, if you're going through something, and ladies, if you got some DV shit going on, some listen, if you got a problem, you got a problem. But if you got a problem and you don't tell nobody, you got a really big problem. Mm-hmm. Please share your experience. Mm-hmm. Share what the fuck is going on. Tell it to somebody so they can document it, right? If you're scared to tell your older brother because he's going to wild out, tell your mother, tell your homegirl, right. tell somebody, put it in a text message that could be sent to people that they could know about this. 
you know? Because we could sit here and talk about politics all day, but at the end of the day, I'm, I'm removed from it unless I talk about a personal experience, right? I could well, be I think pro- that's what's happening, right. though. It's like, it's only a matter of time before the politics becomes personal. I think we're a part, you know, even like on the gun control topic, it's like we are all in America part of a very shrinking statistic of folks who have not been involved in a mass shooting. Like, I feel like it's only a matter of time before you're like, oh, I actually did know right. somebody there or I was there. The shit so that then, really hurt my heart, too, is when they, they got a jail phone call. And they caught him talking to his cousin, and he was like, yeah, I, I had to get rid of that bitch, whatever. Blah, blah, blah. But he, he said something like, I, I didn't mean to kill the last dude that came in. I like didn't some mean to. heavy set Latino guy. And he was describing my cousin. Right. And I'm like, my cousin only went there because a girl that worked at his job that was like a receptionist or whatever, she was trying to be a singer. And some of the other engineers were cool. The guy that was seeing her worked in and out of the studio trying to bring acts there. Mm-hmm. Um literally just made a phone call and was like, yo, some dude wilding out out here. Like, could you come calm him down? And my cousin, I think, knew the two parties. So he went there and he was like, hey, whatever. And when he got there, according to the police report, the two people were dead. So what trips me out is kind of the 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 lackadaisical approach that they had towards it. You know what I mean? And also the fact that no one's talking about a young lady that was chopped up and put in a suitcase. We should be having this conversation. That shouldn't be normal. That shouldn't be something that people glaze over. If you a woman and some man is so pathetic that he can't take rejection or somebody is involved in something and sisters, I know you want like adventure in life, but dealing with a criminal is not always the adventure that you think it's going to be. Because that adventure doesn't have a part two sometimes. And a lot of times, listen, I taught in the prison. I know a lot of ladies that are in there because they took a hit for a man. And I'm not shitting on brothers because I'm saying that there's plenty of brothers I know that are doing time over a woman. But that's not what we're discussing here. We're discussing people that get involved in romantic relationships with a person that they know is violent or controlling or a sicko. Get the fuck out. Okay? Get out. Get out. That's what I'm going to tell you. And, and I'm glad I'm on your platform because I could talk to, I know you have uh, like tons of women. Please, sister, get, talk to somebody. I don't care what who you are. Right? I don't care if you, Maria, Keisha, fucking Becky. I don't give a fuck who you are. I don't care. Listen, whatever community you come from, text your friend. It don't matter who it is. Tell somebody. Tell somebody what the fuck is going on. Please don't let it end up like that. Because unfortunately, you know, this is actually the end result of that. And just the pathetic nature of some man that can't take a woman moving the fuck on, yo. Just moved on. I don't want you no more. I can't deal with you. Okay, cool. There's two billion other women in the world. I'm Mm going to go find one. But no. No, 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 no. You feel like you got to take somebody's life. And also, to those individuals, you know what it is. I didn't mean to make it all dark like that. No, it's not. It's you know what? It's not even about dark. If I didn't it's get it off my chest, I'd probably be in a bad mood. Though I got to say, it's it. no because it speaks to the the necessity of, and it actually, it actually speaks to what I was kind of coming from, where it's like we can philosophize and theorize all day, but there are like actual, right, people dying. Right. Like there are actual it's just like everyone who supported like the repeal of Roe v. Wade did so on paper, not realizing like, no, like there are actually going to be women who die because they can't get an abortion. Like that's just not like a 
a belief that you have. Yeah. Like there's an actual with thing. real medical problem. Not, yes. Not like, somebody who's frivolously killing. No. And what that's always oh, like, no, because, because like, these people don't know thinking, anything. Yeah. And so there's like, so at this point I find myself, I feel like I've done a lot of philosophizing and, and talking about just like, the histories and the how do we get here is, you know, like people are very quick to be like, well, we we was here first. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But in the now, in the present day and time, in this story of our lives, how do we exist in a way that is challenging this? Like I was talking to Jeremiah earlier and it was like, if you look at the history of humanity, it feels like there's always people on top and people on bottom. There's always like those who are being exploited. There's always those whose lives just don't seem to matter just as much like going to Belize and going to the Mayan temple and then being like, yeah, and this is where the kings and such slept. But then down here is where the peasants slept. And then over there is where they used to play a game and they'd have the peasants play the game and whoever lost got sacrificed for the gods. And you're like, God damn it. There's always someone. There's always someone. And so the question becomes like, is the human experience really just the constant effort of people getting power, retaining power, and those on the bottom fighting to not have to be the repercussions of that power. And if that is a human experience, then in this day and time, how do we, who aren't in the quest for power, but are simply just in the quest to live our best lives, how do we do that without feeling like we are spending our lives fighting in a way that doesn't allow us to experience any level of joy in our human experience. That's the part where at this point, I'm really trying to like wrap my head around. And so in your work as an artist, beyond just the work that you do as like an actual like activist, as an organizer, as somebody who is doing the best version of ethical capitalism that I've ever seen. And some like outside of that, just as an artist, I feel like there is like a joy in your work in that way and a way that like you use your artistic gift because I don't think we've ever acknowledged here. This is like a gift. This is a whole gift at MC. Like we've, we we haven't even talked about the raps. I, I, I'll come we on. We didn't even talk about the raps. Spit a verse one day. I'll come okay? on. Spit a verse one day. Because that's how we met, the raps. But inside of that, I feel is like, okay, this is a whole other way that like my purpose exists, right? Mm. And I I know for me, I'm constantly trying to figure out how am I contributing to the effort of dismantling harmful power structures while at the same time, like, enjoying my time? Is that even possible? And how do I empower and encourage others to do the same? Because I know that that is what most people that are listening to this podcast feel on a daily basis. They feel like they have no way of challenging the impending doom that is raining down upon us on a daily basis that Amanda reports on her Instagram, on her podcast, and on her radio show, The Amanda Seal Show, which you can listen to wherever you get your podcasts, as well and in various cities. I wanted to, to touch on what you were saying. So another person passed away that was a very strong influence on me. It was a, a OG, uh, Harry Belafonte, mm -hmm. and um, God rest his soul. And he once told me, he said that every movement needs a thinker and a hammer. And sometimes we can all philosophize about doing the right thing. But unfortunately, unless we have a hammer to break out of where we are, we'll be sitting there and thinking all day. Now, if the movement just has a hammer, then every problem looks like a nail, right? So then 
that becomes the only tool you have, then you deal with all your problems with a hammer and you end up breaking everything around you. Now, I've seen movements succeed from both ends and fail from both ends. And I think, you know, big shout out to Harry because one of the things that he did was humble me. Hey, he asked me to run a program in prison with a sister named Carmen Perez. Um, hey, Carmen! Who's a genius, yes. sweetheart. And at the time, we were working at a spot called Horizons, and we ran a program called Confronting Trauma Through Writing. And I think one of the things that makes human beings unique is, well, we're besides uh, Neanderthals, we're the only ones with a speech gene, but we also write down our experiences and we detail them so that other humans can look at that and say, wow, look at this immense suffering. And on one end, it's a warning of not, don't become like me. And the other one is, you're already like me. You just don't know it. You've already lost. You've already gotten through. Your things have already been taken from you. And they made you feel like it was your fault that they took it from you. Somebody did something to you and they blame you for your anger towards it. And it does create an understanding for a person that wants a balance in a society to say, huh, what am I willing to give up? I had a relative who stole another relative's identity to get out of the country that he was living in. And I was mad at my relative. And then my dad put his arm on my shoulder and he said, you're an immigration advocate, right? I said, absolutely, father. He said, you never thought it was going to cost our family something? Is it supposed to not cost us something? And I said, damn, I thought of it that way. And I said, hmm, but it's wrong that he, he said, yeah, that's true. Mm -hmm. It is. He shouldn't have done that. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, we're asking other people to say, hmm, look at an individual's life and what they could have possibly achieved and where they are in a society. Don't ask them to hold that if you can't hold that. And I thought about that. And so when I spoke to my relative and I said, listen, man, I, eventually I had to forgive you for that. You know what I mean? You had to get out how you had to get out. Right. You fucked up certain things for some of my other relatives because you stole a person's ID, you know, to the point where your kids had to be told that that wasn't your name, which is crazy. But at the same time, I stepped back from that and I took my own ego out of that. And I said, well, now we have to sacrifice for that. And on top of it, after all that happened, my dad would still take me to the like immigration center in New Jersey, in like Plainfield, New Jersey, where we sponsor two people. So I always tell people when they come, oh, you're just getting involved in this. No, it doesn't matter who the president is. I've been involved in this since Clinton was president, right? Clinton and then Bush and then Obama and then Trump. I mean- with, if you stick to an argument, if you're anti-war, it's not, oh, okay, the Iraq war is bad and the Syrian war is great. No, they're both power grabs by a authority figure that at that particular time has no economic fucking plan and want but to come back around. Distract. But come back around to the hammer and the thinker. <sighs> the hammer is and the hard, reason why I'm bringing you back That's around hard, is bro. The reason why I'm bringing you back around is because I feel like we have entered an era of action. Like, and a, there is really just a lot yeah. of folks who are willing, but don't necessarily know the action. And I find myself not necessarily being able to give them like specifics, right? Like, I mean, I can tell people all day long, like there are people who have already been action and actually in accordance with what you're saying about like, if you've been about something, you've been about it. Like the work has been happening. 
Like before you came to the work, the work was happening. Like the work never stopped happening. Like right. Harry Belafonte was what, 90? 90? Like he was like he He passed away at 96 and I remember. 96. I met him when he was 84. Right. Like, like that blows I my mean, mind. Like, like, like however old, the oldest person that's watching your show is, imagine when you 84, you meet a young person and you say, you know what? I'm going to help this old motherfucker <laughs> out for like 10 years. Let me see. I'll throw him some jobs. I'll bring him up to argue with famous people and throw him in the mix like they did with you and Cat Perry when you yes. had to fuck everybody up. He'd be like, <laughs> Harry would do that. He would bring me around. He'd be like, hey, you know what? Let me. You want to come to a dinner tonight? And I'd be like, yeah. He's like, the dinner's like, $2,000 a plate. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not coming to dinner. And he's like, no, no, no. I'm just telling you. So you understand who's going to be there. And I want you to act accordingly. And I'd be like, huh. What does that mean? And he would be like, just press whatever issue. He's like, don't be afraid to express things. Be like that. Because the reality is that these people pretend they don't appreciate it. But they go home and think about everything you said. You know why? Because they live in an echo chamber like rich people and they only get told the shit that they want to hear. So, so when they hear someone that tells them what they don't want to hear and that person is not insulting them but rather talking to them, they're forced to to push their well, right. ego they aside and be like, oh, angry. I got to sit next to this. Which is why I tell people that being an advisor to the president or advisor to the king is so important because- an individual who is in power is always going to be reliant on other people's opinions because- Ask Jeremiah like the Bible. Any How many person, times a day do I call you like, okay, any Jeremiah, person, what are you thinking? Any person <laughs> who is in a position of power who's smart is going to know that their perspective is not what everyone else sees. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Let's go to the question. <laughs> sure. You still didn't give a straight answer, but we're going to go to the question. I gave questions. you a straight answer. You did not. I did. I did. You did not. You, I said that you have to be both the hammer and the philosopher. And I think that so, everyone okay, no, can but honestly, you were saying that it requires both that, but yes. but I think there is something to be said for the concept of that you have to be both that. Because I think some of us sure. are like I, but one I, or so, the so other. So here's the thing. I would say that when Harry said that you are both of those, you have to be good, what he was saying is you created a very good balance of both at the same level. But most people can't handle them being yeah. at the same level. They have to choose one or the other. And that's fine as long as they're both present. You can be okay. the thinker. As long as you know, hey, if it goes down, I got to be the hand. Like, <laughs> if it goes down, I can't run when they start shooting the tear gas. I got to just put the mask on and drag yes. the kids out. I got to do my job. Yes. I got to regulate. I got to yes. do it right. Hey, if something goes wrong in my community, I got to make sure those people are right. How about this? I'm the philosopher. But if the de Blasio canceled the food program, I'm going to start a food program. I'm going to start a 501c3. Yeah. I'm going to do this. And it's not violence. It's action is the hammer. Yes. It doesn't mean violence. Hammer don't mean, hey, I'm addressing black and, and start bashing in it windows. It can. 
It can, but but, it, but that's not. But that's not. But that, that see, don't let them sell you the idea that that's all it is. That's, that's the that's the action that makes it look like you in the destruction room. But that is the the starting point. The other shit is where you really build in pyramids, where you say, "Hey, I'm doing the work that's not sexy. I'm doing the work that's not cool. I get up every day like a goddamn." bus driver that Ebony K. Williams don't want to date and do my motherfucking job every day I'm on that bus. And if you had just said you bougie, we'd have been happy with your response. But you want to act like it's because <laughs> because it's because of Robert listen, Byrne that you choose to love because you're doing. From I'm someone, just telling girls that watch this show, I wanted to bring it back to that. From someone who dated a bus driver, from someone who actually <laughs> did sit on a New York MTA bus and say, yo, that man's fine and actually went on Twitter and got his number. Oh my because God. I took a picture of him and posted it to Twitter and was like, can somebody identify this driver of the Metropolitan Transit Authority bus? And it was on like the 23rd Street and 6th Avenue run. And I got his number and we went on a couple dates. And you know what ended up happening? What? He was lying. He had a girlfriend the whole time. And he tried to take me to the movies in Rockland County so that he could avoid getting caught. He tried to leave county lines. Oh my so God. So you know what? It goes both ways. <laughs> hey, listen, it's all right. Ebony, I own a bust. <laughs> True story. All right, so it's time to go to the questions. Now, y'all already know, if you want to get access to hearing even more of the knowledge and the gems that is going to be dropped during these questions, you got to go to the Amandaverse because that's where it's going down, all right? So we'll see you over there. The last dose. All right, well, in true fashion, we have covered a myriad of topics and we call the series with you Answer the Call because I really feel like, one, one, the call is coming from inside the house as we talk about America. But two, again, I think a lot of people are trying to figure out what to do next and you never know what's going to be the phrase or what's going to be the story or what's going to be the reference that sparks the thing that makes you say, oh, I know what I need to do or I know where I can be the hammer and the thinker in this situation. And so what I love about talking to you is that you're you're going to provide such a myriad of not just knowledge, but of insightful points that people will be able to say, okay, even if I leave this conversation not knowing what to do next, I've got a lot of resources that I can pull from to find out, well, what's the next place I can look for in order to figure out what to do next. But I love you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here with a plethora of points and pontification. It's, uh, <laughs> I also is... really appreciate uh, giving the platform. And um, again, you know, big shout out to all my cousins. Um, I know you're going through it and been hard. I love y'all. You know, my cousin is alive in my heart and in my spirit. So rest in peace to Daniel Gutierrez. I love you, my brother, and I appreciate the positive things that you brought to my life. If anybody want to get in touch with me, uh, you can reach me at uh, www.immortaltechnique.com or on my social medias is Tech Immortal. Um, and then on Twitter, um, I don't have a blue check anymore because I ain't paying for shit. Exactly. But I'm Immortal Tech. So come see me. I appreciate you. And Amanda, again, thank you for having me on your platform. And ladies, I'm going to remind y'all, if you got a problem out there with somebody, you got a problem. But if you, you don't tell nobody, you got a really big problem. Please tell somebody what the hell is going on. Send a text message. Tell a friend. Tell a family member. Tell somebody. 
I appreciate y'all. I love y'all. I want you to be safe and get home alive tonight. Peace. Give him a Harlem before we go. Harlem all day, baby. All day. You lucky I didn't come with my drip. <laughs> lucky. <laughs> <laughs>